Hi everyone, Sean Costello here, back at last with a full episode of the Capital Yarns podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And it's a very exciting episode today because it's the launch of book two of the Capital Yarns short stories. Thank you to all those over the journey who have supported Capital Yarns, whether through the crowdfunding effort or by requesting a story or listening to this podcast. A big thank you too to the ACD government who came on board to provide some funding for some editing and illustrations for the book. And it is now officially launched and available to purchase. Uh, and today we've got on the podcast uh, an audio recording of the launch that happened at Paper Chain Bookstore just a couple of days ago. So for those of you that couldn't make it, you can uh, relive <laughs> all the all the magic from the launch. Big thank you to Angharad Lodwick, my friend from uh, Tinted Edges and Lost the Plot podcast, who hosted the evening. Uh, I was joined uh, in a bit of a Q&A with Juliet Dudley, who was the illustrator for the book, did an amazing front cover and some uh, great sketches throughout the, the book, and we'll try to bring that to life as best we can in audio for you today. Um, very exciting that this is uh, this launch is um, also going to be broadcast by Ang Harrod's podcast, Lost the Plot, so if you don't like the sound of my voice, but you're interested in the launch, you can turn this episode of Capital Yarns off and uh, and download Lost the Plot. But without further ado, let's get to it. Here it is, the launch of Capital Yarns, book two, including a, uh, a short audio read from me. It wouldn't be a Capital Yarns podcast without it. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> all right, everyone, we might get started. That's all right. Oh, that works well. All right. Hi, everyone. My name's Zang Harriet. Um, I am a podcaster of the podcast Lost the Plot, and I also do the book blog Tinted Edges. And um, so we've got, this evening we've got Sean Costello, who's obviously the author of Capital Yarns Volume 2. Woo! And we've got, oh, thank you. <laughs> and we've I think got, someone just injured themselves. Yeah. yeah. You're not covered, so just let you know. <laughs> that um, and we've got Juliet Dudley, who is the illustrator. Um, so just before we get started, I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge that we're on Ngunnawal country and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So, um... I guess we might kick off in the style of Sean's podcast. So we, should, we should probably warn people we are recording tonight, so we'll be throwing open for audience questions. I think. But yeah, I was. Yeah, so I was going to say that. So um, we are doing a recording for my podcast and for Sean's podcast, and in the style of Sean's podcast, which is uh, basically you and occasionally your children and friends and often um, more than me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, narrating them narrating your short stories so we thought we might get started with a bit of a reading from the new book volume two cool thank you harry thank you everyone for coming and thank you for all the wonderful support this book's had i'm very grateful to you as someone else um said to me tonight who's, who's in, been involved in a few um crowdfunded books it's our book it's not my book <laughs> so the story i'm going to read for you is a bit of a taster it's on page 25 of the book it's called a susan boyle christmas carol um, not, I'm not sure if everyone's aware, but generally my stories come about because someone has to nominate three items and then I've got to weave those three items into a story set in Canberra. So um, to try and have some audience participation, or as I think Juliet described earlier, a drinking game uh, with a live audience, um, I'm not going to ask you to scull your wine. What I'm going to ask you to do is if I name one of the three items, you're going to hold me to account, keep me honest. I need you to make a bit of a sound to acknowledge that I've upheld my end of the bargain and I've included one of the items nominated in the story. I think in the spirit of the front cover of the book you should everyone should make an owl sound. Oh that's a great idea. <laughs> that's a great idea. Excellent. Yes. 
and we'll all collectively find out what sound an owl makes as well. <laughs> so we can do a trial run. So the story I'm going to read is called A Susan Boyle Christmas Carol. It's Christmas, so I felt like an appropriate time to do it. And the items that were nominated for this story were a water tank, Susan Boyle, and a 10,000-piece puzzle. So let's do a little trial run. If I say Susan Boyle, you say... <laughs> That's the best reaction Susan Boyle's ever had. Thank you. So... Um, I'll pick the story up a couple of pages in just to, to, to keep things moving. Basically, we've got a brother and sister having a bit of a fight at the back of the car. Things perhaps aren't going as well as they might for this family this Christmas time. Um, and the, the particular thing they've had a fight about is whether Santa Claus still exists. So that's probably the key fact to know as we come into this part of the story. Hours later, Tracy stirred in bed, unable to sleep. This new small room felt cramped and alien. Kevin's snores filled the air, as did the squeaking noise the air mattress made each time he rolled over. Fed up, she quietly rolled out of bed and tiptoed out into the lounge room. At first blinded by the light, she at last saw Mum at the dining table, hunched over their old notebook computer. Over Mum's shoulder, Tracy saw a flow of numbers on the screen. As she moved closer, Mum clicked on an email message, staring at it for a moment before putting her head in her hands. Tracy knew Mum would be angry that she was up, but anguish filled her body and she put out a hand and gently patted Mum's shoulder. She looked up in shock, tears running down her cheeks. Tracy expected her to start yelling, but instead she wrapped her arms around her. As she buried her face in Tracy's arm, Mum did something even more surprising. I've done something really dumb, Trace, she said, giggling. Tracy's stomach churned. What? Mum pulled away, her face still red and wet. For the first time, Tracy noticed the wrinkles around her eyes, accentuated by her squinting to hold back more tears. I've bought a Christmas tree. They stared at each other before both simultaneously breaking into fits of laughter. It filled the room, echoing around the walls. Shh, Mum began, trying to speak through her giggles. You'll wake your brother. It felt good to see Mum laugh, to laugh with her. Why were you crying about buying a Christmas tree? Mum took a breath, trying to regain her composure. Because we can't afford it, kiddo. I should have done my maths before I did. Turns out we might have a Christmas tree on Christmas Day, but there won't be any lights on it. Tracy stared at her, confused. We won't have any power, Mum continued. I only realised after I ordered the tree on eBay that we can't afford the connection fee. They'll cut us off if we don't pay. Candles could be fun on Christmas Day, Tracy offered. Mum nodded. Yeah, that's true. We can't cook anything, but we can work that out later. It'll be a hot day. Maybe we can have a picnic. Tracy recalled a documentary she'd seen at school on deserts, and a sudden terrifying thought occurred to her. Will we have water? Mum smiled and nodded. Yep, even your mother can't stuff that up. The house has a rainwater tank. <laughs> <laughs> so if nothing else, we can drink as much water as we like. The tree arrived just in time on Christmas Eve. In the rush to leave their old house, Mum had grabbed some random boxes and they discovered one of them held their Christmas ornaments. As was customary, after dragging the box containing the tree and the ornaments into the lounge room, their mother put on her favourite Christmas CD. Susan Boyle! <laughs> Again? Really? exclaimed Kevin. It's fitting this year, Mum replied, smiling. It's called Home for Christmas, and that's what we are. This isn't our... Kevin began, but Tracy nudged him to the side before he could continue. She glared at him angrily. It's better than the last place, she hissed quietly. Mum was swaying and singing the jingle bells and seemed not to hear. Kevin discovered a plastic ornament he had made. It featured the three of them, as well as a tall man with dark hair. Is it okay if this goes on the tree? 
Mum took the ornament from him and stared at it for a long time. That's our family, Kevin. Or at least it was, Mum said at last. Of course you can put it on the tree. Once the tree was dressed, Mum plugged in the lights and they all stood back ready to admire the lit up tree. Ready, she said smiling. Both children nodded. She pressed the button, the lights on the tree lit up with dizzying effect. A second later, they flicked out again. Mum played with a switch in her hands. These cheap lights, she began. Tracy touched her arm and pointed upwards. The ceiling lights are off too. Reality slowly dawned on Mum as she looked around the room, realising every electrical appliance was now off. Oh no, they've turned the power off early. What's going on? Kevin asked, confused. Who has turned the power off? Honey, how do you like the sound of a candlelit dinner? Mum asked, putting her arm around him. Later, after the family had spent most of the evening finding and lighting candles, Tracy lay in bed awake. She realised she couldn't hear her brother snoring. Before she could roll over to check on him, he spoke. Hey, Trace, you awake? He whispered. Yeah. She glanced over to see he was staring up at the ceiling. Is it okay if I still believe in Santa Claus? It took Tracy a moment to remember their conversation in the car. Of course it is. I'm sorry about what I said. I don't know if he's real or not. Kevin kept staring upwards. What are you going to ask him for? Tracy prompted. Kevin didn't reply. At last, the silence defeated Tracy and she felt compelled to speak again. I lied in the car, Kevin. I do believe in Santa. I'm hoping he'll bring me a big, difficult puzzle we can all do together on Christmas Day. One of those 10,000-piece ones. <laughs> of a famous place we can imagine travelling to, like Rome or Greece. Immediately after she uttered her words, Tracy heard a faint ringing sound like bells chiming. Before she could consider the sound further or locate the source, Kevin replied, I'm hoping Santa will bring Dad back to live with us. Tracy sighed. I'm not sure Santa can do that. You're probably right. There may be a cricket set. Tracy again heard the same chiming sound. She focused on the noise, trying to identify the source. It sounded as if it travelled a long way. She lay back on her pillow and fell asleep, still considering that sound. You'll have to buy the book to find it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sean. So I think probably... Now, I understand that your volume one of your book is basically sold out. Yeah, I've had a few people ask tonight. It basically yeah. is sold so out. So I have so a copy. Limited edition No, copy. you can't have it. It's mine. Get your own. <laughs> um, so I think looking at these two, they don't really look the same. Do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about some of the differences between volume one and volume sure. two? Sure. Well, one of the obvious differences is Juliet's awesome cover. Yeah. How cool is that? I know we're going to talk some more about how that came about. Um, the shape's different, obviously, as well. So yep. for those listening at home, uh, the first book is more of a coffee table square style book. Yep. Um, that one was um, a bit of fun. Really, it was came about because lots of people said they prefer to read stories in um, printed form rather than online um, and I never thought for a second it'd end up in a bookstore anywhere which is where we are today um, it did and so this time around I went to the booksellers and said um, so how did you find that first format and they said wasn't great Sean we don't really like square books actually <laughs> as it turns out could you go for something a bit more traditional so obviously this one is I think it's described as a C format paperback I now know for those playing at home um, and so yeah it's more of a traditional a bit more shelf friendly if you look around this store you probably see plenty of books of that sort of format so yeah so yeah, friendly. so they're different shapes, they're also different colours. What about on the inside? Are they much different on the inside? I can, well, I like to think the second one's better than the first one. Um, <laughs> as I said, the, the idea of Capital Yarns came out, well, it came out very 
very, very amateur place, I suppose. My two children here here tonight didn't sleep very well. And so we came up with the idea that they would give me three items and then I'd tell them a bedtime story with those three. Um, and then when I wanted to commit to doing some creative writing longer term, it made sense to sort of throw it open to the world and um, pretty passionate about Canberra and so I wanted to do it and sort of display the city in a more positive light. Um, but so those, those yarns sort of were written, I'd say probably in a more rushed way and, and were probably me finding my feet a little bit. Um, they were wonderfully edited by some friends that are here tonight looking at a few of them now so thank you to those that did but um, this time round one of the really big improvements um, is that Susan Roberts who's here tonight as well um, did a prof wonderfully professional job of editing the stories um, I, as I was reading an excerpt actually Suzanne I was thinking that there was a part in that uh, story that Suzanne actually came back to me and said maybe you might want to tweak that little part there to say something a little different so that's just an, um, as well as sort of having that nice polish to them uh, there was that wonderful feedback as well that Suzanne provided. So I think hopefully a much more professional product. Well, and they're arranged differently as well. So yes. in the first book, you just sort of have your collection of stories. I, I don't know if they were in any particular order. No, in I'm looking at, at my wife, were. Mel, who's my collaborator. Can you remember I think if we... they were friendlier at the start. Friend, yeah, the, the idea was that they'd sort of um, get a little darker as you went. But... Certainly, I think part, part of the backstory meant that people were buying that first book thinking it was a collection of children's stories and then getting a little bit shocked when they started reading them, perhaps for their kids. So uh, picking up that feedback this time around uh, on the contents page, as you've said, uh, much more well organised into age-appropriate um, places. And so at the start of the book, we, we, it's fully marked. Um, there's even a little um, public notice at the beginning. They're the stories for the younger children and as you go through... Uh, they become more adult. Um, I was trying to make Suzanne blush all the way through and she kept going back and saying, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. But I think that last story, the bit with the cat, <laughs> no, was no. it the cat? Well, no, it was only the cat torture that really got Yeah, so, so Suzanne's got a limit and that threshold is cat torture. So I, I, I would hope that that's most people's limit. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I found, found some way to make the blush at the end. So, yes, so that gives you an indication of where we go. We finish with cat torture, obviously. Yes. Well, um, so speaking of animals, um, I want to talk a bit about the cover, and obviously for people who aren't here and they're listening, um, I'll put a photo up, but uh, essentially, you know, you've got quite an interesting design. You've got um, Susan Boyle, some police tape, chicken wing, or chicken drumstick, um, a magpie, and you've got this iconic owl, known to some, I believe, as the penis owl. Do you guys want to maybe talk to me a bit about the process that went into the cover design and sure. how you ended up with Do you want to start with one? Um, so I was just trying to remember some of the different concepts that we have, uh, that we went through. So I guess we started with about three different concepts, throwing around some ideas. Um, and I guess the first step was, um, had a meeting yeah, with Sean and he gave me a list of some of those, um, items that he, like the prompts, um, from the story. So then I used that. Um, did a bit of research, came up with some mood boards, as we say in design. Um, and yeah, I guess we, um, I did, so I did three different rough concepts um, and then we narrowed it down to this one. And then it was just a matter of um, playing around a bit with colors and the composition and how it was gonna flow around onto the back cover as well. Um, and then yeah, I guess the decision, that was probably more your decision to feature the owl, I guess, in terms of deciding on the 
Don't know what that says about me. Well, I guess also in terms of the yeah the composition, um, I guess probably most some people I don't know I assume most people would notice, but that it's not factually correct with the Telstra Tower in the background. But um, yeah, it just seemed um, like the right kind of thing to do. So there's a bit of um, yeah creative freedom in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, a bit more of a I guess a Canberra collage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the cup with the colour palette, I mean, I think all three concepts had a, had a similar colour palette, but that, yeah. that colour palette really appealed. Do you want to talk a little bit about where yeah. that came from? That um, really cool? So I guess, um, I suppose if you, if you were to walk past the, the owl on a, on a cloudy winter Canberra day, you'd just be, it'd be a, a vision of grey. Um, but I guess I sort of grew up in Belconnen and I have a soft spot for, you know, Belco pride. Um, so I wanted to try to reflect um, how I picture Belconnen, which is like beautiful sunsets over Lake Genendera and that kind of thing. So um, I guess that was one reason why I went for the sort of sunset um, colour palette. And then also um, when we first met up, um, part of the reason that Sean um, sort of drawn, excuse the pun, to my work was um, a recent project that I did with the um, City Renewal Authority for um, some postcards for a pop-up event in Braddon and um, yeah one of those artworks used a similar palette so um, yeah quite bright colours and I do enjoy working with those kind of colours as well so it all kind of just seemed to fit together yeah yeah that's awesome and so I know that another difference between the two books is that in Capital Yarns you've sort of got like full page photography whereas in this book um, each story begins with a little illustration that you've done um, do you want to just walk me through how you kind of decided on which illustration to do for each story? Yeah, so basically, um, I sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but Sean gave me a list of, it was pretty much a list of potential, potential items yeah. that, that might come up, and, and I I almost did it um, sort of in, in one go. I just sat down. Um, so I forgot to mention, this is all done digitally on the iPad with the Apple Pencil, so I work... These days I mostly work with um, like digital techniques just because especially um, for non-personal work when there's going to be um, you know several rounds of changes it's a lot easier to edit on the computer so yeah so I sat down on the iPad and I just looked at the list and I went through and I just basically did a bit of a brain dump and just I'll, I'll hold up Susan and yeah yeah so and Susan and the result and the result was I I think the result of doing it pretty quickly was that they came out as in a kind of like sketchy naive kind of style and I was really happy with that um so a bit like the writing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um that's basically that's basically the story behind those ones um and I guess from the beginning um yeah we talked about having the little chapter um like motif little icons um but just given that that's a different format and everything this time yeah yeah and I think a lot of them are quite I guess quite playful and yeah really kind of work together especially the earlier stories that are very you know child friendly and child yeah yeah I think also in the style um just because I saw the stegosaurus as you were flicking through yeah um I I guess I tried to um have a little bit of a sense of humor in in some of them as well um hence why I didn't like Susan Boyle for example I didn't try to 
beautify her. I just <laughs> tried to, yeah, make it cartoonish and fun. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess speaking of a sense of humour, I do want to talk, Sean, a little bit about the, um, I guess, the themes of the story. So I, I did feel in volume one, uh, it generally had like much more, I'm trying to think of a way to say it, uh, I guess a more positive, upbeat kind of vibe, whereas volume two, I think, um, it, it does feel like it's got a little bit of a different flavour. Do you want to kind of talk to us a bit about, I guess, the overall vibe of the book that you were going for? Yeah, um, I remember we had that conversation on your podcast and you said it, you had an uplifting vibe and I was yeah. disappointed when I said that. So maybe, maybe you challenged yeah, me to be disappointing. darker. Oh, that um, okay. <laughs> I think probably the first one was a bit of a... I'd, I'd participated in um, a human brochure campaign to visit Canberra, which was about promoting Canberra online. And I think the first one maybe had a little bit too much of the... Canberra Pride's good, but you can go with the top. <laughs> and so this time I wanted to be a little bit more um, interesting, I suppose, tell more yeah. interesting stories and... I think to make short stories interesting, sometimes they have to have that sort of darker edge to them. So I was probably concentrating more on the sort of themes and writing and less on the promoting of Canberra than probably the first one, which might be why it's got that different feel to it. Yeah, I think I, I definitely felt like in volume two, it's a little bit more about the people and their stories rather than, I guess, the place of Canberra. Mm, yes. Um, yeah, and I did feel, uh, actually, I guess in terms of story structure, I felt like you were a bit more adventurous in some of the ways that you told your story. It wasn't necessarily like the linear, um, you know, text, 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 end. But, you, you know, one of them, I think, uh, it was actually one of my favourites, actually. I think it's Listen for the Conspiracy Theory, where it's sort of told with bits of random documents and stuff, and you kind of have to extrapolate from because everybody is sort of writing letters or writing correspondence to this man and you never hear the man's voice but you get a real strong sense of what his story is and what's been going on um yeah yeah I mean, so uh, definitely definitely trying to be a bit more adventurous try different things yeah um i think the characters still try to be very um canberra people yeah. but um probably yeah less less promoting the place and the, the, the sort of um iconic things that they might interact with and more um, just trying to paint characters that live in Canberra, the sort of people who live in Canberra, a whole lot of different sorts of people that, that call Canberra home, but always probably trying to overcome a little bit of the stereotypes. There's no you know, politicians in here. Um, there's not much happening in Parliament House. Trying to, trying to tell the story of the things that happen day to day in, in the city more so than the things you might see on the national news. Yeah, yeah. I think another one of my favourites was um, Hey Sister. I really enjoyed and I, I, th I thought, um, I don't know, I, like I guess I thought that story in particular was again a little bit more subtle and a little bit more... And it's probably a bit dated now, so there's a twist at the end of that story which mm. isn't quite a twist anymore. Mm. But I wanted to include it because I did. I liked it as a story and it's sort of, a, sort of nice to capture, I don't want to give it the ending away, but a particular time in Australia and New Zealand's relationship perhaps when New Zealand was a little bit further in front of us on some things and so yes. it was sort of um, nice to play with that relationship. The person who requested it was a um, person who grew up in Wellington and then moved to Canberra oh. and so she had quite a unique take on the two cities and so trying to explore some of that things we have in common and, and things we um, didn't yeah. have in common at the time the story was written. Because And that one had five 
item. It did, yes. Which was... It was yeah. an extra special, because I was, I was actually um, trying to make my holiday to Wellington tax deductible. No, I was going, I was going on a holiday to Wellington, and I, and I just said, you know, I'd love to hear from anyone in Wellington or in Canberra who'd be, who'd be willing to nominate a few extra items and give me, give me something which is very Wellingtonian. Yeah. Um, and so she threw in a few extra ones. and They were her favourite things that she remembered from Wellington. So for those that have been there, flying, flying down... Um, uh, the the mountainside in a, in spaces no wider than your car, and mountain biking, and the red cable car that goes up to the Botanic Gardens, and Bell Shakespeare in the Botanic Gardens. So, those were things that were favourite for her in Wellington, and so they weaved through the books. That's the only sort of non-Canberra one, but there is definitely a very. It's called Hey Sister, and it's about the sister relationship between Wellington and Canberra. But it did start in Canberra. Started in Canberra, and and sort of alludes to a finish in Canberra, perhaps. Yeah. 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 And so I guess you've got volume one, you've got volume two. Do you think there'll be a volume three? I didn't think there was going to be a volume two. I didn't think there was going to be a volume one. So right, I don't okay. know. <laughs> thank, so thank everyone for making volume two happen. Um, maybe. We'll see. I, I like writing. I, I um, have no allegiance that I should give up my day job. Um, and my boss is here, so it's okay not to give up my day job. <laughs> um, but, um, Depends how many copies she buys. Copy <laughs> <laughs> <be> a sign. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I enjoy writing, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep throwing them out there, and if there's enough good ones for another volume, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, and are you guys working on anything at the moment? Any more future collaborations, maybe? No, that'd oh, be fun. Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. <laughs> we should talk, is, Juliet, have you got any big projects in the offering that you want to um, Oh, So I work as a graphic, like I run my own graphic design and illustration business, so I've always got... Um, Graphic design, sort of client work. I'm just trying to think. Po Poyo Studio. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that. That was on my list. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's right. there. The writing um, small. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. You've moved into some new space. Yeah, so moved into um, Keep, which is a co-working space out at Derry Road. So there's a bunch of other, yeah, photographers, designers, and other creative types out there. So that's going well. Um, I'm just at the moment. I'm trying to just wrap up everything for this year. So I haven't really thought too far ahead into next year but uh i've i've always got i've got a perpetual mental list of all these side projects that i want to do so it really just depends on which one becomes available into my schedule first so <laughs> yeah are you going to be doing any writing over the summer holidays do you um, think i think i think you might be leading to a um manuscript for a novel that i have harry thank you I for may, popping I me may a couple be, of times on i that. may be alluding to that yeah so i will be <laughs> probably cleaning that one up um and um and thank you for reading it for me as well okay. um and seeing where that goes um that's a that's a um a sort of different project set partly in canberra and partly in the snowy mountains um bringing together lots of family histories my sort of heritage and that, that italian and um and growing older and, and thinking back to our to younger days and so yeah i look i'll keep polishing that up and, and see where that goes be nice mm -hmm. yeah um, so does anyone from the audience have any questions for Sean or for, or Julia? Julia. Or for Harry? Oh, well, you know, I don't have a book on the table, so. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to know, Sean, when you write the stories, do you think of the person who's requested the items? Well, oh, good question. That sounds like we... a Dorothy, Trish, because, yes, I do. I always do. <laughs> yeah. I, I figure if the person who requested it likes it, well, that's at least one person who might like it. <laughs> so often, often I'll try and do a little bit of digging into the... Um, person who's requested it, um, particularly the theme might, you know, um, someone here with a slightly sort of political theme. I probably want to hopefully hit the mark for the for the person. So um, yeah, often I will do a bit of digging into it. And there's one in here 
um, that came about in an in, interview I did with Adam Shirley on Triple Six Canberra, and you'll notice there is a character called Adam in that story, and so again, sort of pitching to the person who requested the story. I'm not sure if he's happy of how I've described him. He's not here tonight, so maybe not. No, not yet, so he's not here. Mark, hello. Hi, Sean. <laughs> uh, two questions. Um, I'm worried. Who then, uh, who put the request in about the cat torture story? <laughs> I'm just going to check the items. No, actually, no. Cat, cat, cat torture wasn't one of the, Actually, the scary thing about that story is, that's that look at Dorothy, but the scary thing about the story is it was requested by a primary school friend of mine. And one of the items he nominated was our old primary school. He didn't nominate cat torture, but somehow, I don't know what Freudian people might want to make of that, but that's, that's where I went with it. Yeah. Take a bunch of comfort in that, Sean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just how do, you, how do you manage your time? Because I know you lead a very busy life and you guys are always on the go as a family. How do you discipline yourself to actually get the time to be creative uh, and get this all out? Are you like me and you just sacrifice housework? <laughs> my family won't want to hear that. Uh, no, no chance. My family are very supportive and they're all here tonight, Joss and Brie and Mel, so that helps give me that time. Um, it is using a different part of your brain to work. Um, I've just had the novel come about because I've just had six months long service leave, which um, public servants are lucky enough to have. So um, that was just, I didn't think I could write a novel and work. And so I just threw myself into that for six months. Um, but for a short story, um, what I try to do is just set aside a chunk of time. Um, again, big shout out to the boss who's agreed to me working part-time hours. So Friday afternoons is writing time now. So I'll try and devote some time to Capital Yarns in those hours um, and just um, have the discipline to say, well, that's writing time. And then, yeah, um, try and leave some time for the family to do family things as well. Nick, hi. Sure. <laughs> uh, I asked you this question about your first book a couple of weeks ago, but uh, do you have a have a favourite story of the ones in your second book? In this one? Yes. Um, probably a story called Black Holes, which has had a few... Um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, Nick asked me what the oldest story in the book was, and I think it's probably that one. It's been around for a while, and it's been edited and re-edited and refined over the period, but um, I, I probably judge it by what I have in my mind when I start out to do and sometimes I don't go anywhere near that and that's the ones that you know end up on the floor um, but that was one where I sort of particularly the versions in the book probably um, sort of did what I wanted to do with it yeah does anyone else have any more questions Steve who is a Steve, Steve who's a genuine published real author yes Steve I'd say there are stories that didn't make the cut yeah, look, um, and my so I've sort of had two editors of this book. Suzanne was the was the um, final formal editor, but my wife Mel, who's trying not to draw attention to herself now, um, was was the first collaborator. Um, and I should say that's what's really cool about this project is that I feel like it, the best thing about it is that even the stories are crap. Um, it's cool to collaborate with people like Harry and Juliet, Suzanne and Mel, and others, and all of you, and those who requested the stories. Um, but we had a, we sort of had a long list of about. 20, I think, um, which is way too many to put in the book, and then we try to just try to find some enough, as Harry said, difference and interesting and experimental structure of the story. How so they're well so have? I think we've decided over 60 written. Oh, is that right? So yeah. 13. 13. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, I think about 14 in the last one. Yeah. So so half of them end up on the 
background and often that might be because there's they're too <coughs> samey you know too same in structure too same in themes they're just not very good yeah, yeah. How, what do you do how do you, how many stories I have you got a, on the floor the editor comes back and says this is crap <laughs> <laughs> can i recommend suzanne to did you have a question at the back? I was. You've had a lot, obviously a lot of three items thrown at you, and there's often a discontinuity between the three items, which people oh, I think to, people to select. Yes. What's I think, been your biggest challenge? I, well, the one I just probably read, um, I, I always feel like the water tank in the Susan Ball story doesn't quite doesn't quite fit. It's a bit shoehorned. It's a bit shoehorned. So the, the puzzle often, so, so usually what happens is I get the three items and one of them will spark a little idea and then off I go. Sometimes, there's one in here called Delusions of Grandeur, which I had, that idea had bounced around my head for a while and I was just trying, actually trying to find items that fit it, but that's unusual. But yeah, so the Susan Boyle one, Susan Boyle, Susan Boyle CD, Christmas, great, let's go with that. 10,000 piece puzzle, that's a Christmas present, great, let's go with that. Well, what do I do with this water tank now? So having started, often I'll just dive into the story and start writing it and then realise I'm going to have to somehow shoehorn this water tank in here somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, so um, two, two is usually easy. Often the third is a hard one to, to keep up, but particularly when people I think is more and more aggressive come in and have deliberately tried to really throw some curveballs at me. Yeah. Are you still accepting requests? I am, yes, please, everyone request. Well, everyone flood Sean with requests. Yes, please do. <laughs> yeah. I've, got, I've got a bit of a backlog, I should say. I owe both my kids two or three stories each, I think, because they just request, they just yell out items from the back of the car and <laughs> demand story in the next 10 minutes, so I owe you guys some stories. Well, children's stories, Sean, are you going to do those separately, or the, the ones that you did last year? about Father Christmas and some of the other ones. Yeah, so this has got a... Thanks, Mum. <laughs> she likes the kids' stories. I'm trying to be incognito and ask oh. Mum gets a mention on the back about too many swear words, which might I be for the kids' stories. I haven't seen it. No, okay. not too many swear words. Not like, <laughs> not like the... Um, yeah, that story about the... Um, about the cat? Roller bladers. That was in the last one. was the first story in the book. Too much swearing? Yeah, so Mum gets a mention. No, no, the children's stories, I, uh, I love those, and, and I just, are you going to do those? So we, we try to do a bit of a range here for all ages, so the first couple are for kids, and then we get more adult. Um, maybe, um, I'm not sure lovely. I've got enough. They were lovely, I enjoyed reading those. I, I probably feel like I don't have enough good children's stories to do just the children. Well, you might. Well, you know, <laughs> you, do, you do know an illustrator. I do know an illustrator. <laughs> maybe maybe she could fix up my They can be illustrated yeah. beautifully. We should talk. Yeah. <laughs> if I cut the words out and you add the illustrations, maybe they'll be a little yeah, bit better. You can spread it out. Yeah, let's you do know, that. Two words on a page. Yeah, let's yeah. do that big, big picture, two words. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Lots yeah. of illustrations yeah. and a yeah. little bit of text. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, so, did anyone else have any more questions? Sean, are you going to be signing some books? I will be signing books. Please come see me. Um, the, the instructor at Paper Chinese, if you just post signage, can take it up to the register. Um, they would be grateful for that. But yeah, love to sign. <laughs> Thank you, please. There's more wine and food and um, enjoy. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for your support. Thank you, Juliet. Thank you, Harry. Well, I hope you enjoyed reliving or, or listening for the first time to the launch of Capital Yarns Book 2, Volume 2. Uh, 
if you uh, if you want to get a copy of the book, you can, of course, go to Paper Chain, where the launch happened, or a range of other booksellers around Canberra, including, and I'll reel them off for you now, uh, sort of in geographic order, you can test me out later, uh, Dimix in Civic, uh, the National Library of Australia Bookstore, the National Museum Bookstore, Harry Hartog in Woden, the National Museum Bookstore, or uh, the Regatta Point, the Canberra and Region Visitors Centre at Regatta Point Store. Or you can jump on my website, uh, not only for the full list of retailers as they come on board, but also to order direct if you'd like to at capitalyarns.com.au. Uh, thank you again to everyone for making Capital Yarns possible. Uh, Peter Hewiston for his wonderful reading of the stories on this podcast. Ang Harrod for helping to launch. Juliet for her incredible illustration. Suzanne Roberts uh, for her wonderful editing. Thanks too, of course, to Hashimoto who supplied the theme song for the show. Um, and you can always jump on Hashimoto.com and check out some of their wonderful music at local Canberra band. Thanks too uh, to Mel and the kids for giving me the time and space to do this, but of course for coming up with the concept in the first place and helping me out along the way too. I hope you enjoy Capital Yarns Volume 2. If you managed to get yourself a copy. Uh, certainly if you judge a book by its cover, it is a spectacular cover, so I can at least vouch for that. But until next time, we'll have a bit of a break from Capital Yarns over, over the Christmas period, but hope to see you in the new year. Have a very safe and uh, happy end to the year, and uh, I hope... 2019 brings you uh, much excitement and I'll be back with another Capital Yarn story. Bye for now.